0: listening to Making Global Learning Universal, conversations about engaging diverse perspectives, collaboration, and complex problem solving in higher education, on campus, online, in local communities, and abroad. I'm your host, Stephanie Doscher, Director of Global Learning Initiatives at Florida International University and co-author of Making Global Learning Universal, Promoting Inclusion and Success for All.
1: I think that it's pretty clear now to all of us that we are living in a global society and that everything is flowing across borders, materials, information, and uh, sadly, even pollution that we have to deal with. And we have to come together as a society of humanity to solve many of these problems.
0: That was Domenico Grasso, Chancellor of the University of Michigan, Dearborn. I sat down with Chancellor Grasso, Student Leader Vivian Adams, Scott Riggs, Director of Global Engagement, and Alir Mateza, Associate Provost for Graduate, Global, and Digital Education, to discuss the development of Dearborn's Discovery Quest, a new, integrative, global learning pathway that students in any major can take through their undergraduate education. We talked about how Dearborn defined global learning for themselves, how they built Discovery Quest on the firm foundation of existing global learning opportunities, and how they connect students' global learning to other major strategic research and engagement initiatives. Be sure to listen until the very end when Vivian ties all of this together in a powerful statement about the relationship between global learning pathways and student success. So I am absolutely delighted to be joined today by the team from University of Michigan at Dearborn. We're going to have um, a conversation that I I really think will probably end up being the first of several about initiating a global learning initiative at um, a large institution. I think before we dive into the conversation, it would be a good idea for each of us to kind of introduce ourselves briefly so listeners hear our voices and they can get a sense of who is speaking as we have our conversation. Um, Let's start with the VIP in the room, the very important person, and that would be our student leader, Vivian. Would you you introduce uh, yourself to our listeners?
2: Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Vivian Adams. I am a senior at the University of Michigan-Dearborn. Um, I was the previous student body president and I'm still involved in multiple organizations as well as international student organizations on campus.
3: Scott Riggs, Director of Global Engagement. Uh, and I've been in this capacity for two years at the University
4: of Michigan-Dearborn. Ilir Miteza. I've been on campus for about 18 years as a faculty in economics, and I'm currently serving as associate provost for graduate, global, and digital education. Pleasure to be here.
1: And I am uh, Domenico Grasso. I'm the chancellor of the University of Michigan, Dearborn, and um, I've only been here uh, a little less than a year and a half. And before that, I was provost at the University of Delaware where study abroad was actually started in the United States uh, right after world, world War I by a person named uh, Professor Kirkbride.
4: Right and he on. took a group
1: of students to France because his thinking was, that if we learn more about other cultures, we would not have to repeat the horrors of World War One.
0: Fantastic, I'm glad you shared that. And I think you might have even mentioned that the first time that I met you, which happened to have been the time that I visited your campus, mm-hmm. I, I think you were pretty new at that point.
1: I was very new. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was just a few months.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Scott, I believe, and Elia, uh invited me to come to your campus to talk about what global learning is all about. Um, our book had just come out, and it was, it was an afternoon of meetings. We had uh, a workshop with faculty, and we were, we were kind of grappling with how we define global learning. What is this concept? Before we think about providing it to our students, we really need to wrap our own minds around it. So we had this great discussion. It was really inspiring to me. And then I left, <laughs> you know, I, I flew away. And even though I've, I've had an opportunity to see Scott and Alir at conferences and we've talked a little bit, you know, I, I really don't know what happened next. So I think that might be a, a, a good place to begin, like what happened next after the consultant comes and talks about the definition of what global learning is or a definition, how did your institution then proceed with the conversation and make global learning your own? How how do you define global learning?
4: Yeah, well, thank you, Stephanie, for taking us back to um, to that September or October last year when you visited us, because I think um, at that point our uh, global learning operation, if you will, was about a year old. Most of our conversations really were with internal, with our faculty colleagues, particularly in, in GLAC, the Global Learning Advisory Council, uh, where Vivian is also a member of. We knew we had some very important elements of global learning on campus. We had a long-standing experience of our faculty teaching courses around international themes, about global challenges, uh, we had a very strong cohort, still do, of uh, faculty leading uh, trips overseas, study abroad trips. Um, and this reminds me that I had a faculty, a colleague in economics who has since retired, Michael Toomey, who used to every year prepare a list of campus-wide courses with international content. So as a junior faculty, uh, I, so I, cool. I asked him, whether anybody requested had requested that list from him the answer was no he would publish it uh publish it on his website every year every year in order to inform students what global courses we were offering campus wide my point is as a campus we had we still do many wild flowers growing everywhere on the curb on the walls in the cracks of the of the asphalt, we realized that our goal was to actually create the platform, to create the conditions where all uh, of that energy, that global wisdom, if you will, would sort of thrive, would blossom in a garden.
0: I love and that story.
4: We, that's what we saw as our job. That's, how, that's why we engaged the faculty in the Global Learning Advisory Council, uh, and uh, that's why we invited you. Uh, you really were the, our first effort to engage with the uh, community off campus, uh, with campuses that had uh, more experience in this area. In terms of where we are, if we fast forward uh, about a year, our, our vision for global learning now is to prepare self-aware global citizens who are able to collaboratively address complex and borderless problems sustainably and justly. It took us a while to get there and a lot of conversations with, with our colleagues, uh, but mostly we have engaged faculty, we have engaged alums, uh, students, of course, colleagues in other universities, as I, as I mentioned, and also a couple of cohorts of provost fellows, and I can talk more about that later on.
0: I love the story about the, you know, your faculty member who had taken it upon himself to, to let students know all the opportunities that were existing on campus. That was the overwhelming feeling that I had when I visited your campus. I didn't know what to expect, I'll be honest, because I'm familiar with Dearborn as a great American city right? As um, kind of the home of the Ford Motor Company and um, in the middle of the Rust Belt. And I was largely unfamiliar with any of the history that you're talking about. So I could feel that there was this zeitgeist. And Chancellor Grasso, you were new at that time, not so new anymore. But if you could kind of share with us from your view, from from your position at, at the highest level of administration in your institution, why is global learning something that you see as, as important to the institution and to, and to the institution's mission?
1: Stephanie, that's a great question. I think that it's pretty clear now to all of us that we are living in a global society and that everything is flowing across borders, materials, information, And uh, sadly, even pollution that we have to deal with. And we have to come together as a society of humanity to solve many of these problems. But more importantly, there's also a sense of xenophobia sometimes when we are unfamiliar with individuals from other locations. And I think the concept of global education, whether our students are going abroad or we have students or faculty joining us here, or if we're just learning about other places, gives us an opportunity to see things through different lenses. And uh, of course, there are many problems that we deal with uh, as a group of nations or societies, but there are also things we can learn from, from other, uh, other countries. For instance, uh, in Denmark, Copenhagen has a very strong bicycle culture which is something that I think many of our communities could benefit from in terms of sustainable transportation and alternative modes of transportation. Or uh, their approaches to toxic chemicals. They have uh, a, a, uh, in the Netherlands uh, and in parts of Europe, uh, they have an approach called the precautionary principle, which really is risk, risk-averse. These are things that, whether we adopt their views or not, we are better informed if we learn about them and we can make better decisions so i think that there is so much that we can learn about uh from other cultures and and we can share what we've learned here and so that there is this transfer of information of knowledge and of uh of just a sense of community of being part of the human race
0: vivian when you hear the chancellor of your institution talk like that, how does that make you feel?
2: <laughs> As a student, that's incredible because especially for the generation of students that are attending University of Michigan-Dearborn, we want um, a university that's so forward-thinking, that's so, that has a mind for sustainability, that has um, a vision for what a university could be in a global aspect. And that's just incredible to hear. Is it important
0: for you to hear that from your president or from your from your chancellor, I mean, to be honest, like how often are students paying attention to what the provost is saying and what the president or the chancellor is saying? Does does it make a difference for you?
2: I think it does, especially for um, students that are involved on campus, uh, like I am. Um, we have a really involved campus. It's interesting to see how students um, react to statements such as this to the way that the university is forming and evolving um, because it overlaps so much with our curriculum the way that um, our uh, curriculum is uh, shaping why did you want to be
0: shape your curriculum i mean most students are trying to just navigate the curriculum right Mm -hmm. like how do i figure out which courses I should be taking, which professors I should be taking, in what order should I do this, how can I get these courses done as quickly as possible, but you're taking a much larger view. Why does it matter to you? And I think this is an important thing to share with listeners because there are a lot of institutions that don't necessarily involve students in the design of the curriculum in this way.
2: From all of the advisory councils and committees that I've Um, had the pleasure to attend, there has always been at least one student representative. Um, When talking to provosts and different um, heads of colleges, professors, there's always a student perspective to the grassroots of uh, creation of whatever it might be, a curriculum, a, a new class.
0: Would you say anything to students out there who might be invited or considering, would you suggest
2: that they get involved? Or or do you have any recommendations or advice to them? Absolutely get involved. You're only helping yourself and your community by getting involved. And I think that That's something special about the Dearborn community that um, we try to get involved as much as we can because we're trying to better ourselves and um, our neighborhood as well. The reason that we attend this university is to better ourselves and to get the best job opportunities that we can. And by getting involved and by making our names stand out, that's the only way that we can best get ourselves. For this global job market that um, we have to navigate, right on. Thank you. So, mm-hmm. so I think
0: we should maybe kind of start digging into what UM Dearborn has designed collaboratively, right? So we have this, from what I understand, what I heard about when I was at the AACNU Global Citizenship Conference, is that the institution has planned a new pathway through the general education sequence that is focused on global learning. So what does that look like?
3: This pathway, from a four-year perspective, students will enter in a foundations course, which is similar to a first-year experience. Uh, Transfer students can join as well, so it's it's being called foundations. And I I should preface by saying students will, at the outset, be choosing uh, a global challenge that they feel passionate about. Uh, the two global challenges that we are going with at this time are sustainable systems and building a better world. So they will choose one of these, these goals, these complex problems that they would like to address. They will take a foundations course that's related to that theme. In their second year, they would take two disciplinary courses that are also related to this theme. Third year, would be an interdisciplinary course related. And finally, there would be uh, an interdisciplinary project. So it starts at a broad level Mm -hmm. um, with a foundations course. It goes specific in the second year where they're picking up uh, disciplinary knowledge related to the challenge. In the third year, it goes broad again, bringing all the disciplines together as they look at these challenges. And then it ends specific with a particular project uh, based in the community. And embedded throughout the experience, now throughout the program, are experiences. And students will be choosing two of four experiences. And these could be anything from undergraduate research, academic service learning, co-op internships, study abroad. And these two will be related to the theme there's enough credit hours there to end with two certificates. So at the end, uh, we are envisioning that students will be getting a certificate, likely one related to the pathway and one related to the, to the process uh, of global learning itself, um, something about the, the nature of addressing these complex problems from various perspectives.
0: And the way you describe this, it's clear to me now because I've already seen a picture of it. So, and, and I know that there is this fantastic image that helps people see how students can navigate the kind of broad and then the more specific and broad again. And we will include that in the, in the show notes so that listeners can get a, a, a slightly better idea. But it's, it sounds like, well, okay, I have a genuine question. Did you start from scratch with this concept of the design? or are, were you working from some current framework, right? So, so this is a, a pathway through the general education sequence. Help us understand how the, the committee worked through the design piece of what this would look like.
4: Ilir here. Not easy to answer that question because I think uh, quite a few things sort of came together at the same time. We were, for some time, keeping our ear to the ground, so to speak, in conferences, uh, but also surveying the literature, particularly the global learning and literature, the gen ed literature. We were aware of many experiments, innovative ideas across the country. None of these looked exactly like this, but I think what happened at the same time was that in one of the Council of Deans retreats, as we were thinking and brainstorming, around how to create, how to design a curriculum for for this century. This idea of grand challenges came from our engineering colleagues, our engineering dean. This created immediately a um, sparks, I would say. Yeah. (laughs) And, And sort of unanimous support from all the deans that this was something that was experiential, engaging, connected, integrating for our curricula and that was experience-based, and that students would actually respond to it. And then we, we have a global team, uh, mostly made up Scott and I, but also the other associate provost, as well as some colleagues that work in student success. And we've been designing this, say, from scratch, And we're still designing it and laying out the plans for implementation to launch it uh, this coming fall.
0: Okay, I think you said a couple of really important things there. So one is that the committee, you spent some time just taking in information, taking in information about your own institution, taking in information from other institutions, what they've tried, the models that they've used from the literature, and you discussed it, you dialogued it, nothing was quite gelling, and then suddenly someone, and it happened to be your dean of engineering, came up with kind of that spark, that linchpin. Some might If you were thinking of it from a backward curriculum design point of view, it was the ultimate goal, right? The grand challenge. That was the piece that caused everything to gel and then to be able to make sense and and pick through all of the different ideas. Is that, do I have you right?
4: Yes, that's, that's, that's correct. To be more specific, our engineering colleagues have been designing a grand challenges scholars program. Uh, based on the National Academy of Engineering uh, program. And so we've been working with them throughout this process in order to make these programs run side by side without duplication, but really a sort of reinforcing each other. Because we want our engineering students to be in these project-based learning groups, in the, in these foundations courses, in in the interdisciplinary courses, along with students from business and from English and from history and economics. Uh, we We see a lot of value in learning from difference, whether that difference comes from cultural aspects or disciplinary lenses. We think difference has potential on this campus.
0: Okay, so that idea of the grand challenges that was kind of the sticky space for your particular institution for my institution the sticky space was global citizenship that was the thing that really drew everyone together it was part of the zeitgeist of the institution for you it was global challenges for other institutions it might be something else that also prompts me to ask chancellor grasso that grand challenges piece do you see a connection between discovery quest which is i think the the name uh of, of this program right now this pathway do you see any connections between discovery quest and any of the institution's strategic goals
1: um stephanie let me uh just expand a little bit on the Grand Challenges because I've been involved with the National Academy around the Grand Challenges as well. And I, I think that the National Academy of Engineering and many disciplines uh, have defined Grand Challenges in their areas. A lot of them are technology-based. But I think that this serves as one organizing principle here. I think two others might be great debates which are not technology-based, and then big ideas, which may not relate directly to a grand challenge or a great debate, but is just a creation of the human spirit, so to speak. And I think that these all serve as opportunities or structures to contextualize the educational experience for the students. So this is what might get them excited about bringing all the things that Scott and Alir have talked about together And trying to uh, marshal them towards a specific goal that they would work on interdisciplinarily and in a more holistic fashion. So I think the grand challenge is one approach. It's it's, uh, based in engineering. It started in engineering with a, a report from the National Academies. But there are other approaches that we could also take because things like the great debates would be more humanistically based. And there are so many things that we could talk around. Uh, great debates that have no technological solution, but we as a society have to come together to try to solve.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and more and more institutions are, I hear, the dialogue around the sustainable development goals. So this kind of is another kind of organizing principle, as you were going to say, as you, as you were saying. I can't help but ask again that, about that question about the strategic plan, right? Because you know, I spent a lot within my own institution and in other institutions that I'm working with, you know, how can we make sure that whatever we're doing is in line with the institution's strategic plan overall, right? So that um, we're not duplicating efforts and that we can also gain the buy-in of high-level administrators like yourself. It's, you know, people may be really used to having such great buy-in on your campus, but from the highest administration, but it's not it's not the case at all in institutions. Sometimes we have to lead up. So do you see a connection between the work that's happening in the gen ed and the institution's overall strategic plan? Uh,
1: I absolutely see a connection. I think that uh, the initiatives that have been led by Scott and Allier and, and Mitch, our other associate provost and the provost, Kate, Uh, Davey, are all very creative and have engendered a sense of buy-in by the people who are involved. We're in the middle of a university strategic plan right now. We have 150 uh, people involved in it. Uh, ALEER is actually leading, co-leading one of the sections, and we're trying to get people to develop what they want to do for the future, not something that's top-down. It's something that they will own so that it will continue on irrespective of the leadership
0: that making it your own, that's it's just like the theme that I keep hearing when I hear the story of how your institution has developed this this pathway. earlier at the AACNU conference, you said this really interesting thing. I wrote it down in my notes. You said when students, in addition to declaring a major, when students enter the university, we'll invite them to declare a passion. Right, and those are those two themes that Scott was talking about earlier: sustainable systems and building a better world. What was the process around how your the the, the global learning committee or I don't know whomever was working on deciding what those themes would be? Because there's so many that you could choose from. How how did you land upon
4: those? I think um, my experience here as a faculty member has taught me one thing, that students don't tend to be motivated by learning outcomes. They're motivated by questions. In fact, the bigger the questions, the more animated students are in pursuing those questions. I think it's our job to think long and hard about connecting our courses, connecting all of the learning experiences we provide here on campus, which are excellent, but connecting them in a way that they make sense and that they generate a sense of purpose and mission in our students. And perhaps Vivian can talk more about this uh, later. But in terms of how how do we integrate these experiences, this was the biggest question in our minds. How do we create a pathway that appeal or that appeals or will appeal to students that will allow them to follow their passion so that somewhere down the road, the university can figure out ways to actually shape our curricula more in terms of these questions and passions and less in terms of uh, disciplinary terms or disciplinary turf. I I do not want to minimize or reduce the value of disciplines in what we've achieved in terms of science, literature, everything. Uh, Our disciplines have made uh, so much progress in terms of understanding understanding the world, innovation, technology. Our disciplines give us the hierarchy of the most important questions in our literatures, but... We also, I think most faculty also realize that the biggest benefits and the biggest payoffs will probably be when we work together right there where the interdisciplinary uh, boundaries are with each other. And if we can pull our students with us doing that important risky work, uh, I should add, because interdisciplinary work has high payoffs, but it's also quite risky. If we can pull our students together to work with us, right, on those complex challenges, I think they will be much better off, much better prepared for their own future, but also for the world.
0: That reminds me a lot of what Jamie Kassip says. He's the uh, education evangelist for Google. He says, instead of asking students, what they 'll major in when they enter the university, we should be asking our students what problem they want to set what what problem they want to solve
3: uh, I would add too that there was some logistical uh, decisions happening to to make sure that this was actually sustainable and doable There was a five person planning team really involved with this effort and And it's a large effort, and we knew that that wouldn't fly unless we did a lot of hitchhiking on other initiatives that were already uh, had momentum. So one of those things was, again, from the National Academy, um, and they had four various spheres of grand challenges. And so two of those we borrowed. One was Joy of Living, which we have modified to Building a Better World when we tested that with students, they didn't know what we were talking about when we said joy of living, although joy of living in an engineering sense makes a lot of sense. In, in the broader uh, disciplines, people kind of fumbled a bit with what, th- what that would, would mean or look like. And then sustainability was another one, and, and we just brought it to sustainable systems um, so that it's not just environmental or, or something of that that nature. So again, that was a, a chance where we, we uh, hitchhiked a ride on an a initiative that, that was already happening because we're trying to build as much support, as much buy-in. I mean, same thing with the foundation courses, the first year experience courses, those were already being done by our College of uh, Arts, Sciences and Letters. And that was another example of us t- teaming up with the, the group running those and saying, would it be possible to nudge some people in the direction uh, of these these two themes that, in which we were interested in and, and they bought, uh, bought in, so I would say there was a lot of hitchhiking along the way.
0: So you did a lot of collaborating with other programs to make sure that things were feasible, that there were existing resources and, and aligning uh, sort of the 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 pathway with other existing programs.
4: Correct. Oh, I just wanted to um, add to what Scott said, uh, agree and, and then add that essentially so much can be done uh, on our campus, on any campus, frankly. There are so many good things that are happening, but if we only can connect better, collaborate better, coordinate things better, a lot is possible. And that's what we've been trying to do here, build on the great work of, of our colleagues in the colleges or faculty, uh, but other leaders as well, and connect this into one coherent learning experience for our students.
0: So often we think, this is awesome. We're going to build it and they will come, (laughs) right? But so my next question is, Vivian, do you think students are going to, are are they going to come? Are they going to go for this pathway? What do you think are the most attractive aspects of this pathway?
2: I think that the most attractive aspects would be what students can get out of this program. Like Aaliyah said, that um, this all starts with a, a passion that a student has. Now, in order for a student to even apply or attend a university, there has to be some kind of passion, whether it be through their background, experiences, whatever the case might be, there's always a problem that a student wants to tackle. and a lot of the time students get sidetracked by um, requirements and and uh, money um, looking for outcomes that will put them in the best position in the future however what this program can provide is legwork in order to make themselves shine even more than other candidates add um, future job opportunities um, and make them more aware of what's happening globally. Global learning can be seen through a lot of our courses on campus already. However, students don't really realize the different connections, whether it be from history to English, to math, to science, whatever the case might be. This is a way that students can connect everything that they've been working towards and see that Everything is interconnected and they can see that through their jobs. They can see that through um, in their communities and wherever they might end up in the world.
0: So if I understand correctly, you're inviting students to co-create their general education experience, choosing a passion and then choosing the courses and the activities that they will put together that will give kind of some kind of realization to that passion. And Vivian, something that you just said really stuck with me. So you said when students apply to a university, they already come in oftentimes with something that's of interest, something mm-hmm. that something that's already uh, a driving force. I wonder if we shouldn't be making more use of that application experience. You know, if we shouldn't be asking students explicitly about what their passions are, and then using the information that we get from their applications to help them from the moment they arrive, find the resources and the opportunities that are available to them when they come to campus. Um, I mean, you, you made me think, I need to have another conversation with our admissions team. It's been 10 years that we've been doing this work, and I've never really thought of making use of that space to really get students started off on an exciting, passionate, engaged foot. So, this is the benefit of having a conversation like this. That's, that's all I have to say about that. So far, y'all have made it sound pretty easy, right? Like, we did a lot of research. We scanned the field. We, talked, we had a committee. We talked about our ideas. We had these great student leaders. We had support from above. There had to have been some challenges along the way. Could you just share a little bit about kind of the bumps in the road, any pushback you might have had, um, lack of resources in order to, to do the sorts of things that you, that you may envision? What, are the, what, what kind of challenges have you encountered just in the design process itself?
3: I would say for our team, the biggest problems thus far have been logistical. Uh, the, one of our key concerns is, is the whole notion of credit creep and making sure that we just aren't adding on and adding on to what the students already have to do when it comes to which courses they need to take. And that is tricky. And it's something we've spent a lot of time thinking about. And we feel pretty good that we can get most aspects of the the program through without adding additional credits by keeping things geared toward the general education platform. There are still some some of the experiential components we are still wrestling with a bit as to how we are going to make sure that those aren't um, uh, unessential credits, that those are aligned with what the students need, um, because that's certainly not the intent of the program. I would say the other thing from my perspective that has been very challenging is how do we make things broad enough to get buy-in across campus, to make things applicable toward all the various disciplines and yet also still meaningful uh, as we, I mean, these themes are rather broad and when we're <clears throat> building a better world, I mean, what does that really mean and how, how are we gonna make sure that something meaningful happens at the end? We want to include a, a broad array of disciplines here, so it is intentionally broad. But the the issue there is how do we make sure it doesn't get washed out to really be meaningless at the end? If Because if, anything could theoretically, mm-hmm. a lot of things could come under that umbrella. And so how do we make sure that, that the umbrella is broad enough to be inclusive and tight enough To have meaning, I think those are two things we are we have really wrestled with internally, and then also, you know, from a from a from a fiscal point of view, I mean, getting somebody hiring somebody to oversee this program, I think long term is going to be an essential component because there's so many moving wheels and cogs, and when it comes to scheduling, there's going to be some nightmares in there trying to figure out a a few of the the hurdles um, Mm -hmm. as we come down.
0: Do you have advisors on your or anyone from advising on that committee? Or are you planning to, you know, engage?
3: So we have engaged with them. They are not on the committee. So when the students come to the university, they go through a start program. So all students, be they transfer or freshmen, come in through the start program where they get uh, advising. And we have brought in the leader of the start program and he is on board and mm-hmm. he is willing to work with us because that's really everybody entering the program would have to start there. So that is nice in one regard that everything is centrally located, that we can work through one key office to make sure that students are being advised properly. So we are putting together pieces for the advisors uh, so that the advisors know how to properly advise students uh, as they're making their way through the program.
0: I think your experience may be similar to an experience that we had at at, um, FIU and others have that, you know, an initiative like this begins with a core team. A very passionate, engaged core team. And then that team coalesces a vision. And then there's a need to bring on other people, right? And uh, and some of those initial team members may need to go off and do other things. And so that committee changes over time with different needs as we get deeper and more and more into the nuts and bolts of, of the program. I'm thinking, and Aaliyah, you already intimated um, that this is happening, that this is also just by virtue of being involved in a general education design experience that has an impact on the way faculty kind of think about their work. I know that the institution that Dearborn has an initiative called Urban Futures, and that's a, a university-wide initiative, and I'm thinking about the Sustainable Living in the Urban Futures initiative. Kind of the kind of the research mission and the and the community engagement mission of the institution, Chancellor Grasso, can you speak a little bit about um, the relationship, perhaps, between uh, the global learning pathway and and that urban futures initiative?
1: Thank you uh, for bringing up uh, urban futures, which is an organizing theme for our campus, as uh, we all know. The uh, future of the planet is becoming increasingly urban, and by 2050, two-thirds of the population is expected to live in urban areas. And when we're looking at urban futures, it does not have to necessarily be a densely populated area, but it's just where people congregate to live and to, uh, to go to school, to have commerce and uh, to recreate. So it applies to very densely populated areas and less densely populated areas. But there are a lot of challenges that we're going to be facing in urban environments. One is the the uh, topic of smart cities and the internet of things and AI. Everything is going to be connected. There are going to be health issues. There's going to be education issues, sustainability, agriculture, These are all topics that we're all going to be grappling with, whether you're in China, Africa, South America, or North America. And this is an opportunity for us to look across all of our disciplines and look at what the challenges are going to be, what the great debates are going to be, some big ideas, and really start thinking about how we can lead in thinking about the future of the urban environment. And we've got some terrific people here already doing great work We're going to be making some additional hires in this area, and this is an exciting plan that we have, I think, that's gonna bring a lot of interesting uh, people together on campus to talk about the future.
0: It would be amazing if by virtue of students making new connections amongst their courses and their experiences, they actually communicated some of those cool connections to faculty and and staff and even community members who are working in order to kind of connect for the Urban Futures Initiative. Oh,
1: I I think the students can easily be the pollinators of this.
0: This is, it's yet to launch, right? Discovery Quest hasn't quite launched. It's still in the kind of final design phases. But if we were to meet again a year, a year and a half from now, what would you like to be able to say about Discovery Quest at that point? Um,
4: I'll take that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Everybody can take uh, it. Sure. Take turns. <laughs> we're confident that we're going to launch Discovery Quest as the program that we've designed up to this point. Its integration with general education is still being studied and designed, and it's still too early to say whether we'll be able to do that and in what time frame. Because I think um, our first principle when it comes to integrating anything or changing anything in the general education framework is do no harm. Um, much thoughtful work from our faculty colleagues has gone over the years into the design of general education. And we want to make sure that the principles that they laid for the for the general education, which we call Discovery Core, Dearborn Discovery Core, that those principles are not affected. We have to make sure that we build on those principles and we offer a platform for advancing them, perhaps doing them better, right? My hope is that if we spoke, for instance, in in October, is that we would have launched uh Discovery Quest with enough foundations courses that we would have also figured out to a good degree, a good extent, um, the number of experiences tied to each theme or to each pathway, especially with study abroad, but also internships uh, and academic service learning. We are more confident that we will find lots of research undergraduate research opportunities for our students in all of the areas but i'm also hoping that many students and perhaps uh, also many faculty will take up the chancellor's the chancellor's challenge urban futures and and shaping these two and creating courses i should say and experiences that basically focus on how do we create a better, better world? Given that so much of our population is going to live in urban areas, how do we design better, better cities, more humane c- cities, uh, more educated cities? Um, how do we, how do we wrap our mind around complex systems? How do we? Teach our students to approach these complex systems with humility um, and we think that both of our, th- our themes, meaning both building a better world but also sustainable cities are perfect fits for the urban future uh, futures initiative uh, in the case of sustainable, sustainable systems for instance, the question perhaps one of the most important questions is how do we build resilient cities cities that can withstand economic shocks social shocks political shocks cities that can design not just physical infrastructure but also policy and social norms that make them more vibrant and more resilient
0: so not just students won't just be saying how can i get through my college experience How fast can I get through it? But how can I use it to make the world a better place for me having been there?
1: What uh, I hope happens with Discovery Quest and our Discovery Corps and all the work that we're doing around urban futures and complexity is that we start to dissolve these boundaries between disciplines. And we start looking at what E.O. Wilson in his book in the late 1990s called consilience, which is a unity of knowledge so that we're not seeing knowledge balkanized or, uh, or quantified in, in a way that is very restrictive, but we see a, a continuum. And that this, what uh, Alir and his colleagues and, and Scott have put together, is something that I think will help us get to that point. Because when students like Vivian come in, they don't necessarily see the, this uh, disciplinary rigor that we have evolved in the academy. And they're looking for solutions, as she said. And they're, they're not interested in what one particular discipline has to say, but what the integrated body of knowledge that humanity has evolved over time has been able to accommodate. And I think that this is going to be a step in, in that direction. Vivian, maybe we'll
0: give you, oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Scott.
3: I was just gonna say I'm I'm yeah, I I was going to point to Vivian as well, because I, I think to me one of the most interesting things will be the student perspective. And and that'll be one of our, our best metrics as to how successful we were is how interested and excited students are uh, about their education. If we can talk to somebody and they say, I'm really fired up about next year because X, Y, and Z I mean that would that would be exciting for me.
0: You get the last word, Vivian.
2: Thank you. Um, I think with the integration of this pathway into start counseling that all freshmen have to go through when they enter this campus is going to be essential for um, student exploration of this program. Um, My hope is that a lot of students um, find a sense of security in knowing that um, what they want to do is not restricted just to the major that they pick, but also the passion that they have for whatever problem or or um, um, exploration they want to do in their own personal lives or in uh, whatever job field they want to explore. Um, they get a sense of security of uh, knowing that they can explore this through the pathway. Um, I think that it's going to be very important for the new generation of students coming in, um, especially because um, at the University of Michigan-Dearborn, our student population is so diverse and comes from so many different backgrounds that um, I'd be very hopeful for this program to succeed uh, with the incoming students.
0: I'll tell you what I just heard. You see that there's a possibility for a sense of security, in an open-ended exploration of undefined possibilities in the company of diverse others. I can't think of a more beautiful way of articulating the purpose and the mission of what global learning is all about. Every time I talk to y'all at university of Michigan, Dearborn, I come away with some kind of poetic idea (laughs) that I cannot ever forget. Um, Y'all have not heard the last from me or seen the last of me. I thank you so much for joining me today. I can't wait to converse again. I can't wait for us to be able to talk again in a year, a year and a half, uh, to hear where Discovery Quest has led us all. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this episode of Making Global Learning Universal. This podcast is brought to you by FIU's Office of Global Learning Initiatives, Media Technology Services, and our Disability Resource Center. You can find all our episodes, show notes, transcripts, and discussion guides on our webpage, globallearningpodcast.fiu.edu. And if this episode was meaningful to you, please share it with colleagues, friends, and students. You can even give it a rating on iTunes. Thanks again for tuning in and for all you do to make global learning universal.